Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Get a free 30-day free trial at www.gofreshbooks.com slash holy let's go come on everybody and let's get to bumping cause it's real plays the time baby rips it is jumping now come on everybody all right everybody welcome to the 71st edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling in Southern Oregon, back at my my apartment. Last week I had to record at my mom's house, and you know I'm just, I'm just I'm just happy to be home, and I love my mom, but as as a grown man, living at your mom's house, sleeping in like the bed that you grew up in, that you're far too lo- tall to be in, it's kind of whack for for a week straight. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, though. Yeah, man. So I'm glad to be home. Gonna gonna enjoy these few days that I'm here. Going to San Francisco in a few in on Wednesday, but so I'm enjoying the the few days I'm at my house by myself. Get to decompress from hanging out with my family and re go back into that 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 environment, the, the loud environment. Do you know who else is happy to be heading home, Sage? I'm guessing the Trailblazers because that, that that road trip was pretty pretty lengthy. The Portland Trailblazers are thrilled to be heading home, coming off a four and one road trip. I believe the the broadcast put up a stat tonight after the win in Miami that the four and one trip on a five game uh, roadie was Portland's best mark since 2011. So we're talking six seasons. Uh, not everyone is the Spurs. Not everyone is the Warriors. Not everyone has LeBron where they go on these long trips and yeah, they're favored and they get dubs every night. This was a good ass trip for a, a Portland team that really needed it. Uh, I know Denver's schedule is tough uh, coming down the stretch, but we all assumed this was going to be like there was a stretch in December when there was a huge, you know, huge slew of road games. But this five games trip when you've got Phoenix, House of Horrors. New Orleans with Boogie and AD at the Spurs at the time had the best record in the entire league Uh, at Atlanta. Mike Budenholzer, uh, a Popovich disciple, never really had success there. And then at Miami, a team that was 23 and five over a 28 game stretch, the best mark in the entire NBA. Portland comes away with four fucking victory sage. And I guess it is in true Blazers fashion that the one game they lose is a complete dud to the Pelicans, a 177, you know, drubbing. And I know it sounds odd and I know it sounds cliche, but after seeing the effects of that game, it had to have been a blessing in disguise. Oh, absolutely. Like, and you don't mention like the rapid pace that they gave, those games were played. It was uh, two back to backs and then like a, few, a day or two of rest period. It was, it was, uh, it was a long, road trip it was a, a difficult road trip I, like when I looked at the schedule I thought these were going to be losses because of how bunched together those games were but they 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 laid an egg in New Orleans that was the best I've seen the Pelicans play in since Boogie's been there and then they just fight through all that I think I, I definitely think the ass whooping definitely lit a fire under them because they I think I think it woke them up you know they had played well I think they had won um, four or five straight games 
and then they had the Washington debacle. So if you factor in the Phoenix win, that's really six straight wins. And, you know, they didn't particularly play very well in Phoenix and they got away with it. I think they transferred it over. They probably saw the Pelicans on the schedule. They looked at their record. They, they, they thought they could just show up. They thought that was a scheduled victory. Nothing is easy in the NBA, especially on the road. So I think that ass whooping really, really uh, woke up a lot of trailblazers, including Damian Lillard, who I think got into the team and said, no, this stops here. We're we want the playoffs as a team. This is what we're fighting for. There's under 15 games left. Like there's little room for error. We can't just go into games expecting to win. You have to go out and take that shit, Sage. Yeah, exactly. didn't Lamar Hurd say we have to be greedy? Like a few games ago, we have to be greedy with these wins. Yeah, that was so, Dame. Dame yeah. said that after the Atlanta victory. He said, I want to get greedy. You know, three wins on a five-game trip is, you know, something to hang your hat on. But you want to be heading home on that airplane, getting ready to take your your final 13 games, 10 of them at home. You want to be heading home on that craft. And you want to come home victorious. because yeah, motivated. A loss wouldn't have soured the trip, but it, it, it would have dampered it just slightly. It would have been a, a spring Portland rain on an otherwise amazing trip. And they were able to really rebound and find energy. And I, I don't know how the Heat are as good as they are, but they are a good team right now. And it was just the scrappiness, man. Like you saw how they played defense. They were after it. Every loose ball was theirs. I wish the Blazers the Blazers played scrappy, but they need to play like that for the rest of these these games if they want to make the playoffs. The scrappiness of the Heat and then Goran and uh, Hassan just being consistent and then just the, all the slew of random wings. One of them has to get sort of hot for them to win. And, you know, speaking of hot, Damian Lillard was the human torch oh my in, God, bro. He was in Miami. Uh I don't think there's any doubt that he is the Western Conference Player of the Week. If you look back, the team went three and one. He puts up twenty nine in the uh, twenty nine of Portland seventy seven in that loss against New Orleans. He goes for thirty six against uh, the San Antonio Spurs, twenty seven five and five against the Hawks, and then forty nine points, including nine of twelve from downtown against the Heat. Uh, a lot of players played well against Miami, but. Damian Lillard was the reason they won that game. Let, let's be honest. CJ had a nice night, but, you know, Nurk obviously is going to look a solid in the box score, you know, 12 and 12 with, with three, 21 and 12, excuse me, with three blocks. And he was big down the stretch as well. But no, bla- I mean, 49, 40, this is almost like yeah. a half dollar. Like yeah. he almost put up a 50 burger on him. He He was amazing. Just like the... Some of those shots he was taking from three, just the confidence. Like, you see a different Damian Lillard since All-Star break. You've seen a more aggressive, more explosive Damian Lillard. And that's what we need to win. I mean, the New Orleans game was kind of demoralizing because it was Damian 13 others. But him playing that aggressive is what the Blazers need to, to be the eighth seed. And we're seeing early season Dame right now. And you mentioned post-All-Star break Damian Lillard. So there were 51 games pre-All-Star break. And currently there have been 12 games at post-All-Star break. The minutes are nearly identical. However, you look down the stat sheet. He is shooting 48% post compared to 43% before. He's shooting 40% from downtown versus 35%. Um, you look at 30 points per game. 
compared to 25.7. The assists are nearly identical. The rebounds are identical. So you're looking at Dame really putting the onus on scoring. Like he knows he needs to get his teammates involved, but I loved what he did in Atlanta and he carried it over tonight in Miami. He set the stage by attacking those guards and really got Portland off to the starts they needed on the road. And to be honest, Dame is never going to be a 20 point, 12 assist Chris Paul type of point guard. He's going to get fucking buckets. That's what he's there to do. And he'll run the pick and roll with Nurk, but he is at his best when he is scoring and the team can thrive off of that because it leaves everyone else open. Um, what are your thoughts on Nurkic having effect on not just Noah Vonley, who we'll talk on later, but Damian Lillard? That's 280 pounds of muscle, of just pure brick wall that is being set on screens and is really letting Dame get much better looks than he, I think he's got on that pick and roll in a long time. Nurk makes his life easier in a lot of ways. I mean, the easy points, the rebounds, the offensive rebounds, the 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 times where Nurk can take the ball up and then run the offense. He, we did. We saw it in uh, I think it was Atlanta. He got the rebound and went coast to coast and threw it to Noah Vonley. I think him just being on the court, being a high IQ player, it just helps add another person that can sort of handle the ball takes a little bit of responsibility off his plate so he can, you know. I, I think there were times in the, the, the months where we were losing a lot where Dame, Dame was worn out because it was Dame and CJ and 10 others. Now that there's more talent, he, you see him and he looks more explosive. I mean, that pick and roll is finally there for the Trailblazers. It was never there with Robin Lopez and LaMarcus Aldridge. Defenses knew Aldridge was going to pick and pop. Uh, and Rolo just wasn't the finisher around the rim that Nurkic was. With Plumlee, there was no pick and roll at all. He was he was not a threat. Um, it only ha- occurred when Dame got hot and they had the double. And once in a while, we would throw it up top to Plumlee for the lob. But with Nurk, it is a legit pick and roll. I mean, you're sending a, a Mack truck on a downward slope when he gets the ball in the paint and he's crashing towards that glass. And he has just been... Uh, he has just revitalized Rip City. Uh, I remember watching the games, you know, even when we first got in, but especially when we had Plumlee, and it just felt, it was kind of boring, Sage, to be to yeah. be flat honest. And, it and, was not fun to watch. And for some reason, we weren't crashing the board, so there was no easy points. I think that most NBA teams run pick and roll 60% of the time. And the teams that I watch a lot, Sands, the Blazers, before Nurk, Pick and roll was a lot of their offense. It's a really nice tool to have because if a defense makes a mistake, you exploit it and you get an easy bucket. When Mace was there, that pick and roll was not effective, so he didn't run it as much. Now with Nurkic, there's there's punishments that if you hedge hard on Dame, well, if you got Nurk just running straight at the hoop, and he does it like I I I'm starting to really enjoy watching Nurk because of his basketball IQ. Like he he knows how to run a pick and roll, and Mace just because of the player he was didn't. And you talk, we talked about Dame's post All Star break. Well, Nurk in that same twelve game span, his numbers are up to thirty one compared to eighteen minutes per game pre All Star break. That was largely with Denver. He's now at fourteen points a game, nine and a half boards. Four dimes from a big man, let alone a seven foot, two hundred eighty pound, just beast. Uh, Two point one blocks, one point four steals. 
Um, obviously, you would like the turnovers down a bit, 3.5, but you warned us about that. And I think any Trailblazer fan, given this sample of what we've seen from Nurkic, would gladly trade those three and a half turnovers for what they're getting. If I'm going to nitpick Nurk, it's one, his conditioning. And I think that really needs to improve, especially as the Blazers, the Blazers make a playoff push. And if they do get that eight seed, we're going to need him probably closer to 33, 34 minutes a night. And it's the free throw shooting. When he shoots, it is all wrist, all arms. He's not using his legs. I think the coaches really need to identify that because you're going to get fouled late in games. Everyone's tired. You have to find a way to make your free throws. And we went from one poor free throw shooter in Plumlee to, you know, kind of a 50 percenter in Nurkic. It's got to get fixed because if he's going to be part of our big three and every, in the finishing five and in the finishing five, more importantly, you got to make your free throws. Word to Bill Shonley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think sometimes he gets out of position on pick and roll, too. And all right, we I got to say, why the fuck didn't we pick and roll Boogie Cousins to death? That pissed me off. Boogie Cousins I think, is in worse shape than Nurk. Yeah, speaking of Cousins, is is he just not trying or does he just not give a fuck? Because he's I someone thought, who, sh- who should be in shape because he's played almost every game. He he was super lazy on a lot of pick and rolls. There oh, was absolutely. one time in the first half when Dame literally just went right around him. And, and you're completely correct. I was begging for the Blazers to roll more pick and roll, but I think that was on Terry Stotts. Some on the players, the players didn't show up. Stotts definitely didn't show up for that game. The play calling was, you know, pretty atrocious. And I still think he's using Nurk as a work in progress. Um, he's not completely used to having this type of center down low. Um, so there are going to be times like that. Hopefully they are few and far between. But we called this on last week's episode. You have to pick and roll DeMarcus Cousins to make him... Um, to, to essentially, like, wash out what he's doing on the offensive end because he's a beast down low. Yeah. I mean, that pissed me off because, I mean, I was on Blazers, Blazers Edge Radio and I, I made some declarative statements and the Blazers made me look really silly. So I was kind of upset that we didn't abuse Boogie more. But that, that that's just the one glaring negative that I've seen in the last week. I can't really think of anything else that was hi- that I felt hypercritical about. I don't know if you felt the same, or did you see anything besides like they should have called Patty Mills's travel to get that open three to shit Danny Green. Oh, I- it was Manu Ginobili. Oh, I remember the egregious travel, and that's about it. Yeah, Ginobili took three or four steps, hit it to Patty. Um, and then Nurkic threw the ball out of bounds again because he was um, fatigued. But first and foremost, who who called who called that shot? Can you remind me, Sage? Who who called that victory? Apparently, Evan M did too, because of on, on our Facebook chat, he was saying that stuff too. And if I was more motivated as a producer and wanted to cut that single part out, it was it was it was you that uh, called that that victory, and I was supremely skeptical. I mean, what a game. Uh, This was LaMarcus Aldridge's first game back from the heart arrhythmia, so the Spurs were at full strength. There was no Popovich resting anybody. They were going hard. Uh, I had to follow along through the first three quarters because I was either at work or on my way home, but I kept checking the score, and I was like, okay, we're hanging in. Like We're we're really in this. 
and then you get to the fourth quarter and it's Dame, it's Nurk, CJ's getting buckets, uh, AC had some big threes, and the Spurs, and this is why I am not sold on the Spurs. Kawhi Leonard is an amazing franchise-changing talent. Outside of him, I don't like their roster. No, I just I think it's the basketball IQ that I like that scares me. I, I love the basketball IQ. I love the system that Popovich has, and it's a great regular season roster. They're going to not really fuck up. They're not going to let their guard down. That's why they win 55, 60 games every single year. But when you get into the playoffs and you face, you know, elite teams who have time to scout you over a seven game series, if I'm uh, the opposing coach, I'm taking away Kawhi Leonard and I'm making Tony Parker and Mana Ginobili. And I'm sure as hell making guys like Powell Gasol and LaMarcus Aldridge try to beat me. Mm. I just don't think they have that second option. I, I think LaMarcus has I don't know why it's not getting more attention, probably because the Spurs are winning because of, of Kawhi Leonard, but he has really fallen off since his his all-star days in Portland. Yeah, it, it's just Kawhi Leonard. It's just the basketball IQ. I think that they have a above-average roster, but supreme IQ, which scares me. I've been, also, I, I, oh. What the hell? I didn't mean to interrupt you, but what the hell happened to Danny Green's three-point shooting percentage. He was one for six last night, and he's he shot 33% last year. I know he's up to 39 this year, which is really good, but one of six for Danny Green? Like, that really surprised me. Sometimes I mean, I'm used to seeing this dude shoot 40% from three. Sometimes, I mean, yo, you, you know as a shooter that sometimes it, it's difficult to make some shots, man. And he's not, I mean, he's a great three-point shooter, but he's not like an elite scorer, so sometimes. That's true. He's really just a catch-and-shoot yeah. three-point shooter, especially in transition or off of dribble penetration. But, you know, I thought that was a pretty big um, bullet that the Blazers dodged. You know, Danny Green only gets three points. The Spurs only get 16 points from their com- from their backcourt combined. It was nice that Patty Mills didn't decide to have a career night against us. Uh, we did pretty well against their bench. It's just really amazing to see how this team can play when a big three can put up numbers like Nurk, Dame, and CJ. Um, they combined for 78 points, if I'm doing this math right. 78, yeah, that's Sunday night math for you. 78 of Portland's 110, and... It really gives Portland a nice foundation to build upon. You know, Damon, CJ, 25, 26 years old. Nurk's only 22. Um, that's a young core that's really igniting this Trailblazers fan base right now and why a lot of us are thinking, okay, playoffs are fine now. Like, we actually have our core. Let's see what they can do. Mm-hmm. My question is, from watching them this week, who out of the, who on the Blazers has the highest basketball IQ? I mean, to me, it's pretty clear it's it's Damian Lillard okay. I know I know we might not agree with some of his shot selection sometimes that's and, the one thing that I, makes me think eh but I think he has the highest IQ I think CJ oh. knows how to like attack the defense but I don't think he's the, a good defensive IQ guy and then CJ knows how to attack the defense one on one I, I, I want to see him get better working that pick and roll because I'm definitely not as comfortable especially watching the game against Miami with CJ with the ball in his hands trying to run that pick and roll with Nurk Dame was much better delivering those those bounce passes right to him um, they definitely have more of a chemistry hopefully it comes along with CJ as well but I believe you were going to mention one other player Nurk what do you think about Nurk 
Yes. Um, I think he's very smart. And yeah. I think he's a little bit of a risk taker as well, which I can appreciate as a basketball player. Yeah, I mean, he still likes to fit passes into to windows, but he gets it. He he can he can actually do it. There are some players that try and make those passes, and it fails ninety percent of the time. Nurk is a is a better chance. I I I kind of I I I'm starting to fuck with the 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 on court brain trust of the team. Maybe and, sans CJ until he can like run the offense. But and we talk about Nurkic having a great effect on a guy like Damian Lillard, but I think there's two factors into play with Noah Vonleh's improved play as of late. One, he's getting more than just the first shift of every uh, first and third quarter. And two, I think it's nice having a low post threat like Nurkic, so uh, the defense has to pay attention. It's leaving Vonleh open a little bit more. But what I love is just the confidence. Uh, he has scored in double figures in three straight games, let alone on the road, I mean, which is a feat itself uh, for the first time in his career. But he's getting playing time. You look against the Spurs, 26 minutes, 27 against the Hawks, 29 against the Heat. You know, we got 12 and 6 against the Spurs, 10 and 11 against the Hawks, and 11 and 7 against the Heat. But How what's impressive? In New Orleans? Uh, 23 minutes, 3 and 9. He only took two shots. Um, you love the nine rebounds. But what I love about Vonley is, and I can tell just by watching him play, his confidence is higher Absolutely. because he's attacking the rim. He's not trying to lay anything up. Like he had some massive dunks uh, on this road trip, especially against the Heat, where he just took off from the the free throw line, took one, two dribbles, and powered it down with one hand. This is the player that we've all been expecting to see. But you have to give a guy, especially a 21-year-old player, who would only be—he would be a high—he would be a college senior right now. He would be playing in March Madness. Mm. Yet he's starting for the Trailblazers. He just needs time, and I think a lot of people really are in the not only the "What have you done for me lately?" category, but they're in the "I'm impatient. I want to see a Damian Lillard type of rookie every rookie." Like that just doesn't happen. How many? Chauncey, how many good rookies are there? One. Who's the best rookie right now? Sans Joel Embiid, who was in the league for two years. Dario Sark? Maybe Sarge, maybe Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, and Brogdon but, was in the league for four or five in college for four years. And Sarge took Played, two years to stay overseas. Yeah, rookies suck. R- most rookies suck. Anthony Davis did not play as much as I would have liked because Rolo outplayed him. Most rookies suck. Damon Lillard was special. You got to be patient with these young guys. And when you see stuff like these three games, and honestly, I think he played a good game in New Orleans because the one make that I saw was really a smart play. He got AD up in the air, got a foul, and it was an and one. So you got to just be patient with them. It's not going to be a Dame Lillard. Most rookies suck. CJ took how many years to develop or get playing time? CJ took almost two full years yeah. before he broke out against Memphis in the playoffs. I mean, I think Gary Harris is one of the best two-way guards in the NBA. He was worse than Austin Rivers his first year in the league. Worse than the worst rookie ever in Austin Rivers. Takes a while for players to, you know, get used to it. It's a total culture shock. And, you know, you, you can't expect, you can't put so much on the rookies that are coming into the our team because... They're going to suck. I mean, I sucked at radio, and I still kind of suck at podcasting for 
five years. It took me a while to develop my skills. I mean, this is what they're doing as a job now. I mean, in college, they also went to class, had other responsibilities. Now this is their job, and, you know, it takes a few years to get it. Um, but I do, will say that next year is a pretty important year for Noah Vonley. Yeah, isn't, no, even, it, isn't it his uh, uh, free agent year? I believe so. I, I think the, the down the stretch, March and April, and possibly the playoffs are big for him too. Remember, last year he was not a part of this team when we really made our push. He didn't get a ton of minutes. He was relegated to that Pat Connaughton role. Uh, Aminu came in and Ed Davis got all those minutes. Um, those that, those were our power forward rotation. Mm. So it's important that he's playing in meaningful games because at the beginning of last year, those really weren't super meaningful because everyone had expected us to win 26 and a half games. And we were trying to develop and slowly, slowly, slowly we picked it up. I mean, was entered in the starting lineup and we took off like gangbusters ended up uh, fifth in the West. Now he, the situations were almost reversed. Expectations were high. We didn't meet them. Okay. Let's just start developing Vonley. Oh shit. All of a sudden we're playing well, bring in a guy like Nurkic, uh, Dame gets healthy, uh, and then you have CJ, Moe's there, and you have some structure, and you're seeing him produce in probably the biggest road trip uh, the Blazers have had in quite some time. Mm-hmm. You see the skill, and you just have to find pieces of the game where Noah looks like a legit NBA player. And can we talk about how great he is on, on the pick-and-roll defensively, that he's able to switch well, out on guards? Well, there were analytics last year that I don't believe because I, I looked at the analytics myself, and it said that he was the best defender on the team last year. And you can you can see that this guy has some skill defensively. It's all a lot about reaction. Uh, and he can he has the lateral quickness to, like, switch. I, after the Pelican game, which I get it, it was the lowest of the low, I was wondering why we couldn't do a 1-4 switch on everything. Noah Vonley and Alfred Camino could totally have done that. And our guards are actually game to defend the post sometimes. And I, I really like the defensive p- potential that Nurkic and Vonley bring to the table. Nurkic is becoming more of a weak side shot blocker. A he little bit of that, A little gets... bit of that rim protector we're looking for. And just a big body. Um, and then you've got Vonley, who is more probably uh, versatile on that end of the court. And he's just learning how to use those instincts. Um, you put those two together, give them chemistry, give them time to play. It, it's gonna. It's been quite some time since the Blazers have had a good defensive um, front court like that. And I, I have no examples for the Blazers because I haven't been a fan long enough. But when the Hornets took their step into being an elite defense, it was literally everything was the same statistically except for one thing. They changed from average to elite. And that changed everything from like the 15th ranked defense to a top five. All it is is playing together and realizing that we can't give up easy baskets. So it's not going to be some crazy like confluence of events to make us a good defensive team. It's going to be time together, maybe getting a better scheme. But it, it's really just the time and the trust that each player has for one another. And can we talk about Mo Harkless's defensive tip? Like he was getting tip passes. Like I think it was eight against Atlanta. He was he was hungry. I've noticed Mo and Alan Crabb both have been really effective defensively, playing playing the passing lanes. You mentioned the Atlanta game. 
amazing, amazing performance considering they're coming off the high of beating the, the at the time the best team in the league, the San Antonio Spurs, on their home court. They come out, they, they outscore them 40 to 18. I think Dame put up something ridiculous like 16 first quarter points. We had six Blazers in double figures. I mean, AC had 16 off the bench, hit four of eight threes. Uh, Harkless was everywhere, 12 points, four rebounds, four assists. A very efficient five of seven from the field. And he's becoming the Mo Harkless we're used to seeing. You're able to throw it to him on a smaller guard. He's getting busy. He's hitting that three. He's physical and really bouncy around the rim, dunking everything. And you could just tell that Mo, again, is playing with more confidence now that he knows that he's in the starting lineup. That's where he feels the most comfortable. And I think he fits the best of all of our small forwards. He fits the best as a starter in that group. And I think it's going to be very interesting how the team works in Evan Turner. Um, We've seen the past two games, Shabazz Napier has not gotten any run. And of course, it's going to take Evan Turner some time. Uh, He has only scored eight points in those two games, uh, only shooting a combined four of 17, which is pretty gruesome. And what Blazer fans were accustomed to seeing Evan shoot earlier in the season when he made the transition from Boston to Portland during the free agency period. I guess you can attribute that to um, the wrap on his hand, a little bit of rust, but I'm still, I, I don't know if I'm concerned. I'm just not certain that Evan Turner is a long-term fit on this team. And I know I was an Evan Turner apologist. I was a supporter of him once he signed, but that was really before I think Harkless showed a little bit more uh, potential offensively. That's before Alan Crabb started to get more shots. We're so much more effective when AC is shooting at least 10 times a night. And then Shabazz Napier, he's just proven to be like, oh, you need five, 10 minutes. I can handle it, coach. Like I can run the, I could run the point. And he's a playmaker. He's, he, he runs the offense. He actually isn't a me first guy. I think with Evan Turner, CJ at Dame, they're, they're best when they're scoring. They're best when they have the ball in their hands, actively trying to score. And for the players that we have off the bench, Alan Crabb especially, you need a distributor. That you need a guy who can pass the ball really well. A distributor. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I, you I you hit the nail. That. You hit the nail on the head with that. And I was telling Olga during the Miami game, it was, I, I was feeling a little just frustrated because Evan Turner was dominating that the possessions. And like, I get it. I understand he does well when uh, there are smaller guys on him, but it felt like every possession Evan Turner was eating up all the clock and there was three or four where, where he got buckets and that was great. But Evan Turner dominating an offense is not an offense I think is successful uh, for the trailblazers. And before it sounds like I'm bashing ET too much and I'm setting my expectations too high. One, I realize it's two games back from a a five or six week hand injury. Um, Two, I know it's going to take him some time. And three, he's never been a great offensive player outside of, like you said, handling the ball. And I know he brings he's going to bring the defensive potential on on the wing. He is going to be a good ball handler and he's going to grab rebounds for his position. However, Given his contract and given the the play of the players we mentioned earlier, I just don't know if, if he now becomes a need. I think he's just almost like a cherry on top, but I, I, a luxury. And I, I don't know if it's a luxury that Portland, they can afford it. I don't know if they want to afford it. And I think a lot of um, Evan Turner 
I think his future could depend on how well he plays in, in the playoffs. I understand you're going to have to – it takes two to tango, and you're going to need somebody to take that contract off of your hands. There will be three years left at about $17 million per. Um, but I think it could be almost like a Gerald Henderson, Allen Crabb situation where you had both of those guys coming into free agency last year. Obviously, the preference was to keep Allen because of his youth. But one player performed well in the playoffs, the other didn't. And I know it's kind of shitty to base it upon that, but – you can tell a lot about a player, how he plays under the bright lights when everybody's watching, when everybody has the microscope out on you, um, really critiquing every single move you do out there. Well, I mean, there's been players in recent history, for instance, that have made a lot of money off of their playoff performance. I can remember Aaron Gray getting a legit contract from the Raptors because the two games he played in New Orleans or shit. Biz Mac Biombo. Yeah. So it happens if, if, I'm trying to think what teams could use a guy that has Evan Turner's archetype. Who needs that? That's where Boston, I can. Boston, Boston, Boston. And that actually makes me wonder, did Evan Turner, when he was in Boston, did he play like he does, or was he more of a distributor? God, I didn't say that at all. Uh, but distributor. Just, <laughs> I'm just showing off now. No, I mean – I will be the first to say I didn't. I don't have league pass. I didn't watch a ton of Celtics basketball. The game I do remember watching was the the first win in Golden State again of, of any opponent last year when the Celtics went into the Bay Area Bay Area and won. It was Evan Turner down the stretch getting buckets, initiating the offense. Um, I think he was a distributor out of that set, but like you said, his he is at his best when he's looking to score. And that team needed it because they didn't have a traditional shooting guard. They have Avery Bradley, who's there as almost like a Tony Allen defensive specialist. They don't have a CJ McCollum who you need, who you need to get shots, who you need to have the ball in their hands. Um, they had Isaiah, but I think it works better when you have more of that defensive specialist at the two and you can let Evan Turner be your de facto point forward, similar to how the, the Sixers probably envision working in a guy like Ben Simmons. So, again... I think Evan Turner is going to work in Portland. I'm just not certain it's a, ne- a necessity, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. absolutely. I, I don't think it's a necessity just because we are cap-strapped, one. But I think Shabazz can do what Evan Turner, what we need Evan Turner to do potentially better just because of that's his nature. He wants to get other people involved. You have to teach Evan Turner that. I would rather get the guy that, this is just what he does. I'm going to get Alan Crabb open. The way Alan Crabb gets buckets or gets the ball even with the CJ uh, Evan Turner, he has to be cutting, and that's the only way he's getting it. And he has to cut directly in Evan Turner's eye line. So it, it's not the best for Allen. So if we need a, someone to pass the ball, let's let Shabazz have a turn. And I don't know if you remember this exact play, but it really stuck out in my mind. And I literally tweeted it out seconds before it happened. I was like, you know, AC needs to get in this game for Evan Turner. Literally the play before Dame and Nurk were working the pick and roll. It had been bread and butter all game long. Evan's defender. So Evan was in uh, the left side corner close, you know, during the second half down by the Blazers bench. So far away from the bench. Dame goes to run the pick and roll. Evan's defender helps out on him, kicks it out to Evan for a three. Uh, Turner's never been the most knockdown shooter, let alone coming off of you know a, a five week layoff. It was pretty far off. Like he, oh, he, yeah, had not, he had not been close. 
immediately after that, Terry made the right decision, brought back in Alan Crabb for that spacing. You're not going to leave Alan Crabb. I mean, you're picking your poison. You're either going, you're going to try your defense with Damon Nurk on the pick and roll, or you're going to get beat by an open Crab three. So either scenario is not too appealing for the for the defense. And Portland has these these pieces to make the defense pay. And I just think we have enough ball handlers. I really thought we needed more um, going into last season, just because of what we saw in the playoffs with teams uh, really trapping Damian, but. It's really worked out because Nurt can now pass from the post. Plumley was passing from the post when we had him. And now we have a more capable backup than Brian Roberts. I mean, Shabazz Napier has played big time basketball before taking UConn to the national championship just a few years ago. Um, and he's he showed that he's capable in stretches of running the team. So with that said, it's just I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning period. And I'm glad the Blazers have 10 of their next 13 at home because it's a great chance to get Evan Turner back into the to the rotation. Um, I know he's going to get playing time. He, that's just what's going to happen. I just hope that it continues to flow because the Blazers do best when they stay at a nine man rotation. Everyone gets their share of minutes. Everyone knows when they're going to play. I'm just hoping that it's going to gel a lot quicker than it did earlier in the season, earlier in the season with Evan. And if he can get his three point shooting 31, 32%, I'll take it like he cannot be at 25% where you're just praying it goes in in today's NBA. You've got to be above that 30% line, man. Mm-hmm. I think he's a smart dude. He, I think he knows this, 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 this postseason is pretty important for his, for what team he's on next year. He's good yeah. enough to be on any NBA roster. But, yeah, and don't get me wrong. I like Evan Turner. I think he is great for the team, especially personality-wise. I want to see it work. I just know that the Blazers, early on in this year, they had a few too many players. And the team works better when the rotation is shorter, everyone's role is defined, and you have to think in the future. Uh, we have the mid-level exception. I know that's not going to get a huge impact player, but that's another body that's coming in. We have three first-round draft picks. At the very least, you're drafting three new rookies. So you've got other players coming in vying for playing time. Or we can make some sort of consolidation trade. Um, Either way, I think change is inevitable. And Portland needs to find the best nine guys that are going to work out for this team. Because I think that's a solid rotation that gives your star players enough rest moving forward. um, But also really defines those roles of your bench players uh, coming off the bench and your young guys like Avon Lay and Mo Harkless, who I think people still forget is really only 23, 24 years old. So speaking of rest, Sage, the huge debate around the NBA is what to do with these scheduled days off that superstars like um, Kawhi Leonard, or excuse me, not Kawhi Leonard, he actually had the concussion, but you know, LeBron James has it. Uh, they're doing it with Kyrie Irving. The the Lakers, I know he's not a superstar, but the Lakers sat, t- they're sitting Timothy Mozgov the entire season just to develop another player. The Suns are shutting down players left and fucking right. I think the NBA has a problem. I don't know if there is a solution. What are your thoughts on that, Sage? James can skip a game whenever he wants. That's a lot of miles on his legs. I don't, I, I mean, the only, I, I really don't care. I think. If you're the Cavs and you're going to make it to the playoffs anyway, it, it doesn't really hurt. 
their their team. What I do think is kind of fucked up is the fans that paid hundred plus dollars to see LeBron James play and he doesn't play. Like that Clippers uh uh Cavs game was a shit show. Yeah, and that was the only time, unless both teams make it to the finals, that LeBron James is going to the Clippers. I feel sorry for those fans, but as someone who has only gone to one NBA game this year, I I, I see the I see the the use in resting him. I think the Suns, uh, you know what, they aren't doing too well. I think it's time that they develop it and. Oh, fuck! Who is that center? I, he has a weird name, but the guy that yeah, the guy they're resting Mozgov for is putting up numbers that are better than Mozgov. So I don't. Uh, for me personally, I don't have a problem with it. But if I was someone who bought tickets more often, I'd feel pretty cheated from not seeing LeBron James, which was like the advertised LeBron versus Blake versus CP versus Kyrie. So that's, that's what I would be pissed. That's off at. my problem as well. I think. Coaches should have every right to rest any player they want to. I think once the NBA gets into that micromanaging, you know, over the shoulder parent parenting style, I think that's when it becomes a problem. You can't tell Greg Popovich who and where and when and why to play. That that's not going to happen. Uh, that's his team. That's that franchise. They should determine who sits and who stays. But there does need to be some repercussions for when it happens. I don't know. If it's the fans getting a refund, but if, if if it's the fans getting a refund, I'm certain it's not going to be from StubHub tickets. It's only going to be from Fuck StubHub. NBA podcast first. No. NBA verified tickets. So then you've got a whole nother shitstorm there. Um, I don't think you can f- f- uh, cut the players a paycheck because you know, Lord knows we've all taken a sick day when we weren't sick. Um, it, I don't think there is a perfect solution. Um, one, I, I know we can always tell the fans, hey, don't come to see your favorite player play. You know, wait till the playoffs. But like you said, there's a lot of LeBron fans in Los Angeles. They're not going to fly to fucking Cleveland for a playoff series. Also, playoff tickets are much more expensive. You're paying for the airfare. Um, it's really a huge just clusterfuck, Sage. And I don't think there is um, a proper answer. I will say this. When I was growing up, I don't remember a lot of you know, the players resting. I actually commend the Rockets for what they're doing now. They're playing their guys. Um, I commend Damian Lillard. When he's healthy, he's playing. Mm-hmm. Same with CJ. You know, if you're hurt, you rest. That's fine. Um, maybe there's um, a compromise. You can't rest more than one player at a time. So if you're the Spurs, okay, you can rest Kawhi one night. Okay, the next night you can get Ma- be Manu. The next night it can be Tony. Like, only one guy is out. Um, I think another way to go around this is have a flex schedule like the NBA, like the NFL does with Sunday Night Football. I don't know why these ABC and TNT games are so set in stone, Sage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes zero sense to me. Um, there should so when they schedule in the beginning of the season, there always needs to be, I think, post All Star break a contingency game yep. so that you do because the NFL they have the uh, you know the um, flex schedule, the favorability of having every team but two play on Sunday. So you always have a, a contingency game. But for the NBA, like, let's look ahead. Um, because why this is concerning to me is cable is driving all of the revenue in the NBA. That's driving the cap. I can tell you right now, without any inside knowledge, the f- people at ABC, ESPN, Disney are fucking pissed that the last two times they put the Cavaliers on prime time, LeBron James has not played. 
Yeah, and if you know definitively, hey, I'm resting LBJ, and fuck it, Pelicans are playing the Rockets. I'm sure the Pelicans would love to be flexed into that. I mean, it gives the public an extra chance to look at Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, there are teams that don't get many nationally televised games. It might be a good thing to flex a resting Cavs-Lakers game out for a Milwaukee Bucks-Rockets game. I don't know. But... Shit, put, put the Blazers in heat, the hottest team in the NBA versus a team that's playing for something. Or do you remember the Lakers were on the were the nationally televised game the day the Pelicans got Boogie Cousins? It was I mean, fucking ridiculous, man. Exactly. So the NBA, I mean, they have a part in this too. Um, one, it, it, I agree. Players need to rest. Um, I don't think it should be super prevalent because, like I said, guys passed, they, they played their, their share of games, and they did it with a lot less amenities, a lot less technology. I'll tell you what. Um, sorry, that sounded really fucking old. Felt yeah, like old yeah you are. Right but I, I, I get it. I think that if you're trying to keep your stars healthy and they need a rest day, I'm giving them that rest day. If it, it doesn't matter for our our uh, seating, fuck it. LeBron, you can take a rest, man. I, com- I completely agree, but if you do that enough times, you're going to turn off certain fans. And the NBA wants to be the number one league. I mean, the NFL, they have their, their image issue. Baseball is just now getting over the steroid scandal, and they're having to appeal to a younger audience whose average age is about 55 right now. Um, Canada is primarily hockey. So the NBA, it is the more, more, excuse me, it is as popular as it's ever been post-Jordan. Mm. Like, they need to take advantage of this, and I think a, a couple of solutions. One, let's extend the season by a week. Let's start it a week earlier. Let's not play back-to-back games then. I mean, these are easy, easy solutions. And if there are no back-to-back games, I'm sorry, players shouldn't rest. Mm. I, I, but I, you know what? Like, I, I'm not telling Pop he can't rest his players. Like, it, it's his prerogative. I mean, I just am a bum. I'm just bummed for like the fans that happen to go to the Spurs, Thun, uh, Spurs, uh, Raptors game and. Kawhi happens to rest, but I don't think he rests that often. He usually plays, but like no, Kawhi will play. Yeah, but what pisses me off though, Sage, and the Blazers do this like another a bunch of NBA teams preseason they tear out games. So the Warriors game is the super elite game. If I want to go to that game, one, if I'm a Warriors fan living in Portland, two, I'm a Blazers fan. I want to see them play the team we played in the playoffs, or three, I just want to see a lot of fucking good basketball players. You have to. Sh- the, I think the lowest price for a ticket in the three hundred level preseason to buy that ticket, hundred twenty five dollars. If I pay that money up front because you know they're going to sell out and those players aren't there, there needs to be some repercussions. Like I need to get some sort of refund or let's start um, pricing every game the same because you cannot upsell this game and that player not be there. That is complete bullshit. Uh, honestly, the thing that pisses me off more than resting is the overplaying that I've seen from the Blazers, man. I see Dame play way too many minutes when we have the game in hand. We play our starters far too much. That's what that's irritates me more than seeing, you know, LeBron James rest. I, I'm worried that we're overplaying our guys 
in a season that may or may not be successful. Like, that is, it's up in the air. I would much rather save those those minutes, those wear and tear for a different situation. That's what pisses me off. I mean, if Dame was 30 and not 26, I would tend to have more of a, a feeling about this, a more of a, an opinion. But just like Allen Iverson, you try and tell Damian Lillard to come out of a game. I'm going to tell you, fuck you. <laughs> like, I'm playing fucking basketball. Um, I agree. I don't want to see him uh, play too many minutes, but he's he's hovering 35, 36. Like, you know, that's three out of four quarters. That's, that's not... It's not too bad. I mean, LeBron plays these minutes. Superstars play minutes. Like, I, I, I don't think one to two minutes less is really going to make that much of a halt, like a, a 10,000 foot view difference, if that makes kind of any well, sense. What about when we're beating Atlanta by 25 with five minutes left and Dame, CJ, and Nurk are all in the, the game? That's kind of irritating. Like, when the other teams conceded and put in their their bench, I feel like there's no need for our stars to be in games that we the decision's already been decided. Yep, I would have taken them out too um, to play devil's advocate. Terry probably wanted to see the team finish that game. The one of the worst things that could happen is you were up by twenty the entire night and you let a team come back in garbage time and make it like an eight, nine point game and you just play sloppy. You let up that, that is, that doesn't make you feel good going into the locker room, especially having to play the next night. So I can see Terry's point of view of wanting to keep those guys going and the Hawks, they were still going. They didn't let up for a while. Like we were up 20, they would cut it to 12. We had to push it up to 15. They would get it. It's like eight or nine. So that game, even though we were up, it didn't feel like it was really settled until like you said, three or four minutes left. Um, but again, we're, we're, we're debating over one or two minutes here and I would lean towards your agreement on here. If we're up by a certain amount, you got to pull them, but you know, we we've all seen crazy shit in the NBA. And again, uh, coaches want to see things through and it, this, every coach does this though. You know, even, even the Oregon ducks who I watch, they'll, they'll wait, they'll be up 40 points and they won't put in the walk-ins in until a minute's left. Like, I don't know why they do it, but that's just their rationale. And really, as, as long as Dame's okay playing, um, as long as he's healthy too. Now, when, if the if the team knows, okay, Dame's playing through like a tough ankle, fuck that. You have to really watch his minutes. So, I got to give you props. Your uh, bracket is far superior than mine. I let my heart get in the way, uh, and that ruined my bracket. Why is your bracket busted, bud? Uh, my love for Notre Dame kind of fucked me, and then Nova really fucked me, and, uh, now I just suddenly don't really give a shit about, like, my bracket, I just want to see entertaining basketball. I was living vicariously through my mom's really strange bracket, hopefully, hoping that would win, because I want to see just devastation of brackets, but... Yeah, I mean, you 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 uh, didn't let your heart get in the way, and you you're looking Bullshit. pretty good. Of course, I did. I put Oregon. Don't yeah. let my heart get get all up in that bracket. Yeah, no, me having Notre Dame in the final four, I said fuck it. We can we can beat Gonzaga, 
and then we lose. I had Notre to, Dame beating Gonzaga. I shit. I, I I for a while I didn't just because for whatever reason. Now it's like fuck it, Final Four. I don't give a shit. But that's how you have to do it because when you look today, Duke goes down to South Carolina. Who, unless you're a South Carolina fan, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Villanova loses to Wisconsin. Wisconsin always plays teams tough. And then Louisville goes down to a hot Michigan team. So you've got two twos and a one already out of the tournament. Um, Florida State, uh, you know, a big flop. They lost in the second round. They are three seed. They're donezo. Uh, Sage, of the prospects still playing or prospects in the tournament that you watched, uh, who stood out to you so far? Hmm. In a good way. Either. Either way. I did not watch that Florida State game, but that shit looked awful. Um. That's a tough one, man. I don't think I haven't seen enough games to be like that's improving his draft stock. But I've I've been busy with family stuff, so I, I how have have any of the players caught your interest in a good or a bad way? I mean, I think Lonzo Ball is making a legit push to be the number one overall pick. Um, he's posting Jason Kidd type numbers, and he just controls the game. Uh, if his shot was better <laughs> i hate the word normal but if he had a normal looking shot i don't think there would be a cons- i don't think there'd be a doubt it would be lonzo ball be the number one pick and everybody else chasing after him uh if he is able to get his shot off at an nba level i think he could be a, a really game-changing player he continues to impress me and he's really the straw that that stirs that team's drink um you know this team was 15 and 17 last year i know tj leaf was a pretty big time recruit uh but it's really lonzo that he came in and now all of a sudden they're they're up and they're up and down the court. They lead the nation in assists. Um, they're one of the top scoring teams in the league, and his defense has gotten better over the course of the year. I think whoever gets him is is going to get a really special talent. Um, Jason Tatum, uh, again, I know Duke went down, but he looks pretty strong. Uh, the guy from Arizona, Lowry Markkinen. Yeah, but he also looked good last week when we were talking. Yep, and he continued that that hot play. His ability to bang down side, bang down low, finish around the rim, rebound, show an aggressiveness around the hoop to block shots, and not just be the the Ryan Anderson stretch four. But I'm just going to hang around the perimeter, just bust threes. I think is going to make him. He might sneak into the top five. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say on Lonzo Ball, if the team that drafts him is patient with him and doesn't have a toxic environment around him he could potentially be a top five player but those two things have to happen he cannot get drafted by the kings let's say it has to be a good environment around him and if that happens we can be looking at a legit top five top ten player but one one player who i've cooled on a bit and i really shouldn't have been so super high on him is Malik Monk from Kentucky. He was pretty non-existent for most of today's game against Wichita State. Then all of a sudden, you know, he hits a big tray. And the block. In the block. But he's looking more and more like a Monte Ellis. Like, that's all I'm going to do is get fucking buckets. And I could be hot one night, cold one night. So, one, I'd like to see his defense step up a little bit more. And I would like to see him impact the game um, on other areas. Because he's getting 20 points per game in colleges is, is fucking legit. But he's only averaging 2.5 boards, 2.3 assists. 
the and one steal, which is nice that he plays the passing lanes, but that's essentially probably where they're coming from. So I would love to see him not be so feast or famine because right now that's kind of what I see. Although in certain situations like the 76ers where you've got a Ben Simmons running point and you just need somebody getting buckets on the wing, he could thrive there. Um, but it, he has got to be a really good scheme fit. Otherwise, I don't like him super high in the lottery. Um, a guy who I think could fall because his team uh, really faded on the stretch is the Jonathan Isaac. Um, uh, Dwayne Bacon takes a lot of their their field goal attempts, and Isaac is kind of like their utility player. He didn't really get a much of a chance to showcase his offensive repertoire throughout this season. Um, he, he's a stat stat sheet stuffer, which is great, but um, the versatility GM, on defense is what yes. I think is going to be the thing that GMs salivate for. But GMs he, and owners all get caught up in the hype of the tournament, the oh, March absolutely. Madness. But so if you bow out a little bit earlier and See, if, if I'm a, a prospect, I would rather not play in the tournament than bow out early because you don't get a chance to be scrutinized and critiqued. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of flying in the radar. I'm like, oh, you had a great season. Your team didn't play well, but you know, you put up numbers, Dennis Smith, Markel Fultz. But it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, Jonathan Isaac, you didn't really have that good of a game against you know, so-and-so. He, um, I, what that, I will that, say about That's Isaac, bullshit that that's how it is, but it just it, kind of feels like that's how it is. Prisoner of the moment's motherfucker. But what exactly. I will say about Isaac, if he is on the Blazers... He fixes a lot of problems defensively just because of his versatility. He can play the four, he can play the three, he can defend the, all of those positions. That would help us. He's just an athletic freak. His, I, I haven't really seen his offensive game shine, but just what he can do defensively, his potential, that, that, that has to get the old Shea's blood running a little quick because he can fix a lot of stuff with just he, his length, his athleticism, his the way he plays defense, that could get him pretty excited. Yeah, if he can put on some weight, I'd be pretty uh, intrigued by his potential and a guy I would love to see in a Blazer uniform. If Portland keeps all their picks, though, a guy we're talking about improving their draft stock. Bam. Bam out of bio, baby, from Kentucky. I mean, 6'10", 250, only 19 years old. Um, You want to talk about solely defense and rebounding and the ability to finish around the rim. Uh He's, he's your guy. He looks like a baby Dwight Howard out there. I mean, he is chiseled mm-hmm. for 19 years old, and he's got some bounce to his game. He's probably never going to have Elijah on post moves or be able to dump the ball in and get buckets. If he does, it's going to be seven, eight years down the road. And but who really looking, in this day and age has that? Boogie Cousins? Exactly. And if you're looking for a defensive playmaker with a lot of potential that late in the draft, I mean, again, we're talking three picks here, and you want to use one on out of bio. I would say go for it because there is a lot of talent there and he's going to be a role player coming for Nurk and you're going to see just the, again, you go get blocks, you go get the ball and we'll throw lobs to you. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what this team needs. We need to start building a defensive culture. How did you like miles? You know, it's tough because Kansas just outclassed them because they have so much more talent, but man, Miles, again, has an NBA body. Um, 6'7", 230, again, chiseled. Not even, not even 19. He's got some silly bounce. I love the fact that he's a lefty. Lefties all have fucking beautiful uh, shooting strokes. And I think he reminds me of a better shooting Stacey Ogman. You know, the Plastic Man came out of the UNLV Run and Rebels. Uh, they were the show back in the early 90s. Reminds me a lot of the Plastic Man. You're talking about... Isaac filling a lot of holes. I think um, Bridges does as well. 
And I think he, he's more offensively gifted than Isaac. Yes. But man's body for sure. And I, I liked how he started the game hitting a, a three on uh, Josh Jackson. That injury scared me. But again, I did not watch as many minutes of that game as I could because of the Blazers and then URI Oregon. So it, it was the, the times that I did see him in the, in the past, he intrigues me a lot if we have if he happens to fall. One prospect that I really cannot get a beat on is Josh Jackson from Kansas. And we talked about this a little bit. I am so thrilled with his defensive upside, his ability to chase down blocks. Uh, his length is just nasty. Are you looking at a six eight kid? Um, his jump shot isn't as broke as a Rondé Hollis Jefferson or a kid Gilchrist, but he's got a little bit of a hitch, and he puts it right in front of his face. Little things like that kind of scare me going to the next level because it makes me feel like, okay, he might just be a catch-and-shoot. He might just be a glorified 3-and-D player. I don't know if you need to take a 3-and-D player with a top-five pick. I, I just see a lot of all-star potential in him if he can get the shot going. I, if the Blazers somehow get lucky with that point like zero three chance that we get the, the, the number one pick, I, I, I would not be bad at Josh Jackson. No, again, I like him as a player too, but he's the one that I'm, I think he's got the highest risk. Maybe not as high of a risk as Jonathan Isaac, but when you factor draft position, he might have the highest risk. I think he might have the highest reward. But if if we're looking at Jackson, Tatum, Jonathan Isaac, and Miles Bridges, how would you rank those in, on Sage's draft board for the Blazers specifically? Well, on my board, it's Jackson's three, and then Tatum, and then Bridges, and then Isaac. Wait, wait, you if you I you lost me. Jackson's three, then you went Well, Jackson's three on my actual big board. Okay. So shit. Jackson, I Jackson, Tatum, Bridges, Isaac. Okay. I I I I, I could see Josh being a multi type all star if he's on in the right situation. I think it's yeah. It's tough. It's hey, that's why, that's why I'm not getting paid money to be a draft guy. I'm saying it on a podcast. If my predictions are wrong, you know, <laughs> you know I, I, I'm not getting fired for saying that I think Josh Jackson is third on my big board over Lonzo Ball. I would say highest bust potential, Jonathan Isaac. Yeah. Highest superstar potential, Josh Jackson. Um most NBA ready and I think likeliest to make all-star teams, Jason Tatum. Really? Over, over folds? I'm talking small, these small oh, forwards. Oh, I was like, out of all of them? And I think it's hard. To, I think the, the player that probably might be the best fit. I really like miles bridges, man. Um, yeah, but we, we, we have a huge bias against those. I mean, he was, he was the first, and uh, college prospect this year that I fell in love with. So I, I, I he, he might be the light of my eye outside of Notre Dame. So I, I might be a little biased towards him, but I, I think Tatum and uh, Josh are better prospects if we happen to get lucky. I think Miles Bridges might be the safest bet in terms oh, of absolutely. being in terms of being a, at least a, at least a three and D player. Mm-hmm. I think. What do you think? What's the player comps for the top four? Those, those, those four small forwards. Oh God, I I have no idea. I have not di- di- dive into that. Oh, okay. 
I kind of, I think the one that I feel the most confident about is Tatum. I think he could be the small forward athletic version of Jabari Parker or Danny, yeah. Green, or Danny Granger. Excuse me. I mean, I gave my Miles Bridges. I, I think a better shooting Stacey Ogman. Uh, Isaac, we really haven't seen. We haven't a small, seen that. Yeah. You no, know, not at 6'11". You know, Richard Lewis was that tall, but he was a shooter. Isaac is more of a defender. Um, you had a pretty good comparison. If he can work on the jump shot, Josh Jackson could be like an Andre Iguodala type of small forward. Isaac's kind of like Nerlens Noel when he came out there. It has never been a person like him. But the small forward version of Yeah, Nerland. exactly. We have no comps at all. Like, what I see defensively, I love. So I, I don't think he could... I, I, he might He might just end up being a really good defender in the NBA. But he, he could also change your franchise. And you know Portland's going to have three picks in this just amazingly deep draft. Again, I can't believe all of the players, even in the second round, that I'm like, I want, I want, I want. Uh, there haven't, hasn't been um, a lot of players. I'm like, no, 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 stay away from. Mm-hmm. But if the NBA season ended today, Portland would have the 12th pick via their own. Uh, they would have the 20th pick via Memphis with that Plumley trade and the 27th pick from the Cleveland Cavaliers with the, the Anderson Barajow uh, deal. But Sage, I do not think this team is going to be in the lottery. I've embraced the playoffs for quite some time now, and they are nipping on the heels of the Denver Nuggets. What, what does Tankathon say for the 12th pick? Lowry Markkinen, but uh, he's going to be way gone before yeah, that. Th- that's not going to happen, but it's a great way to it's a dream that we could happen. If Portland wants a guy, they have three picks. They could package them up. We've got other players on our roster. I, I'm not too worried about that. Um, at this point, I want to see our big three. I want to see Noah. I want to see Mo. I want to see AC again under the lights. I want to see how these dudes play in the postseason. And they're going to likely get you know the Golden State Warriors with or without Kevin Durant. You know, Portland made it through this tough schedule. They've played. 38 road games and that that's that's a fucking lot um 10 of their next 13 are at home they're eight and two in their last 10 they've won three straight the nugget schedule really really intensifies uh down the stretch and do we play them twice we play them once on the 28th and that's it that's it Oh, okay so we've already played them three times yeah we're two and one against them okay and looking at denver's just their i mean Here's their remaining schedule. I know they play at Kings a lot. At Houston tomorrow, Cleveland at home, at Indiana against your Pelicans. Then they start a five-game trip at Portland, at Charlotte, at Miami, at New Orleans again, at Houston again, home against the Pelicans again, home against the Thunder. Um, And then they end the uh, season both on the road at Dallas, at Oklahoma City, if I'm Denver and I want to make the playoffs, I am scared to death of this schedule because you are playing teams that are fighting for something. Mm-hmm. Um, Cl- Cleveland, who knows whether they rest or whether they don't, but Indiana's fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, the Hornets, or excuse me, the Pelicans, they're not giving up as we've seen against the Blazers and then they beat the Rockets uh, a little bit earlier as well. The Heat are one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now, and you know the Thunder are fighting for home court advantage. They played them twice. The Mavericks just don't rest players either. Um, playing the Rockets twice in Houston is just brutal. They're going to try to get that, at least that third seed. Um, 
locked up. I honestly think Portland runs away with this eighth seed, and it might be a team like Dallas um, that gives Portland the most competition for that for that seed. Um, and again, we're going to go into it uh, into the next week of games, but we're going to take a, a quick break from our wonderful sponsors. Time for most entrepreneurs or small business owners, the very thing that always seems to be in short supply. Tons to do and never enough time to get it all done. The good news is our friends over at FreshBooks feel your pain and have created something to help you reclaim some of that precious time. FreshBooks is a super simple invoicing solution that lets you create slick, professional looking invoices in seconds. Oh, and invoices is only the beginning. FreshBooks will help you manage your expenses, staying on top of who owes you what, and tracking your time the easiest part of your day. If your business keeps you on the move, not to worry. The FreshBooks mobile app can keep up. You can use your camera on your phone to capture receipts while you watch FreshBooks magically create expense reports for you. If you do have questions, contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get the help from real live humans. No phone tree, no, I'll just get back to you. Just helpful service at the drop of a hat. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go to www.gofreshbooks.com and enter Holy Backboard in the how did you hear about us section. Right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Uh, we are going to dive into the next week's slate of games, and it, it is a home-heavy and favorable schedule for your Portland Trailblazers. We've got the Milwaukee Bucks uh, on Tuesday, the New York Knicks on Thursday, the Timberwolves Saturday, all at home, and they round out the week with a back-to-back in Los Angeles to take on the Lakers Sage. Let's get it started. The Milwaukee Bucks have been playing much better basketball of lately. Uh, of late, uh, Jabari Parker is out for the year, but they returned Chris Middleton. My boo uh, They are eight and two in their last ten as well. They have surged up to the seventh seed out east, and they are also fighting for their playoff lives. This could low key be uh, one of those games the NBA should have flexed into. Absolutely. I mean, Jabari Parker is one talented dude, but they also got. Chris Middleton, who was, I, I said earlier in the year, was their second most valuable player. I actually said, maybe said the most because of his shooting. That was wrong, but he is super valuable to that team just because of his shooting. I've been, I've been a fan of his for a while. Honestly, if I think, if he got drafted by the Warriors, he would have a Clay Thompson type career. So he is a very talented shooter, great defender. His confidence is crazy. And then they got Malcolm Brogdon, who also can hit a three and, I don't know, second-best rookie this year. They got some talents. But, I mean, it all starts with Giannis. And it's been a long time since these two teams have seen each other. Uh, Milwaukee won 115-107 to back on December 7th. Kind of throw that game out the door because it was two different rosters. You take a Plumlee away from Portland. Again, you take a Parker away from Milwaukee. Add in a Nurkic add in a Chris Middleton, and you've just got a completely different outlook on the game. Isn't the, Maker starting as well? Makathon Maker, the the rookie they drafted, I believe 13th, mm-hmm. um, is starting for them. Milwaukee is in the midst of a six-game uh, West Coast trip. They are 2-2 two and two currently, and they've got Portland and Sacramento next. This game feels... It's not a must win because of how difficult Denver's schedule was, but I think for Portland's psyche, 
we've as fans, and I think the players know this too, have felt like they've turned the corner so many times. Mm-hmm. Then the Pelicans game happens. You know, then the Orlando Magic game happens when they lose at home. Um, they just have dropped the ball so many times. They bounced back and won three in the road. But we say this all the time. The first game back from home is essentially another road game. Can Portland focus and protect that home court? Sage, the Blazers are just 17 and 14 on the year at the Rose Garden. Not acceptable for a team with one of the best, loudest, and most passionate fan bases in the entire NBA. Uh, that needs to be better. And when you have 10 games left at home of the remaining 13, you need to handle your business protecting that home court. How, how many games has the New Look Blazers played at home? The New Look Blazers? Yeah. Ooh, let's look. I know I'm asking a, a pretty... Washington, which they won. I'm calling that a wit victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philadelphia is two. Um, Brooklyn is three. Oklahoma City is four. Um, Nurkic didn't play in that Atlanta game, so four. Honestly, I think I think I think the fans will be a big factor in this game because I think everyone still has Nurkic fever. It might have been less so because of that Philly game was such a high that he's not playing as MVP type because I mean the dude did have 21 and 12 and 3 tonight so I think we all are should still probably call him sick tomorrow doctor's orders I, I don't know have- man that, that Philly game he made Jaleel look pretty awful <laughs> but uh, I mean he held his own against Whiteside too dude I, 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 I think I said that Nurk's uh, type of that center doesn't uh, Whiteside doesn't do well against because he's not the biggest, but uh, yeah, I, I think this might be the first time I don't I, uh, we play a Greg Monroe team where I'm not scared of Greg Monroe coming in and just making Myers or Mason Plumley look awful because we have so, defensive principles. What do the Blazers need to watch out for against I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks? I think that we got to make sure that Middleton, Brogdon, Delhi. Tony Snell, who is very inconsistent but still is like a 39% three-point shooter, don't go off. I think Giannis, it's going to be a huge test to stop him. Let's just make sure that those shooters don't get comfortable and win the game from that perspective. Just try and limit the surrounding players. Yeah, my X factor is going to be Mo Harkless. He's going to draw the defensive assignment against Giannis. It's going to be up to him to keep him out of the paint. But most importantly, make it so Terry Stotts feels comfortable leaving him on the island against him. Because Giannis is at his best when he is distributing and getting others involved. Um, this dude is like a 6'11 magic in the sense he's running the show for that team. He's got shooters spread around and he's looking to facilitate the offense, especially out in the break. So just like when you play the Wizards, you want to take control of the basketball You want to keep a young team like Milwaukee off of the break. And you're right. Greg Monroe does not scare me now that we have Nurkic. So I'm not super worried about paint points. Um, What I do think Portland needs to get, and this is my X factor, is the Blazer bench. You can't rely on Dame scoring 49 points every night. We need Alan Crabb and Evan Turner to have pretty substantial nights that they can come in and they can just take a little bit of the load away from the big three. Um, so I got Mo on the defensive end. I got the bench on the offensive end. I think Portland rides the momentum, 
coupled with the fact that Milwaukee is in the midst of a huge West Coast trip. I like Portland winning this game, a big home game, um, to start the homestand. What do you say, Sage? I think so, too. I think that the Bucks they're, they're a completely different team. They just are from the last time we played. There were no shooters outside of Malcolm Brogdon. Now they got, like, literally one of the best shooting guards, in my opinion, on their team. So it's going to be different. I think the Blazers have had trouble being disciplined on shooters in the past. If they're disciplined on the shooters this time, we get this win. So I'm, I'm going I'm going a dub. I'm going to win. All right, moving on. The Blazers get to see the New York Knicks again. It feels like eons since we have played uh, New York. And again, it was all the way back in November. We lost 107-103. Um, a player who has... Kazmikas, Kazmingas, I think. Kazmingas, who I'd never heard of. I was listening to this game on the radio, driving home from the he coast. Work. Never heard of him. Brian Wheeler says this dude. I'm like, what? How? Well, anyway, he hit a big three, and Porzingis was unstoppable. And Brandon Jennings, who is no longer on that team, really came in and provided that spark. It was him, not Derrick Rose, who ignited the the Madison Square Garden Derrick crowd. Derrick Rose sucks. And they beat us 107 to 103. Yes, he does. Um, the Knicks, I have no idea what to, to make on this team. Are they trying to win? Are they not? Even if they are, they're three and seven in their last 10. They look out of the playoff race to me. To me, this needs to be a game where Portland just blows the door off of them and you're resting your starters halfway through the fourth quarter. Uh, the Knicks simply do not have talent, but we know this is the NBA. We've seen the Sixers blow out the Dallas Mavericks. They gave us everything we could handle. Portland needs to really hone in on this game and say, we're not going to overlook that we're going to play. We're not going to play at the level of our competition because outside of Mello and Porzingis, who can really get busy for this next team? I like really Herman Gomez, but that's like as a nice complimentary piece. I think that the, the Knicks have two or three people I wouldn't mind on the Blazers outside of Porzingis. I think Justin Holiday could be a nice rotation MLE guy, but I, we have we have the talent and we have to show that we're the better team. I think Porzingis can get busy, and that's basically about it. Um, I'm not f- scared of Kylo Quinn bullying our big because we have Nurkic now, so it's definitely a different. We I mean we have a different team now. We, exactly. Alfred Camino is, is no longer guarding Porzingis. We're going to have Noah Vonley, who I think is a, is a better matchup uh, for Kristaps for if you're looking at Portland. Um, again, this is going to be a Mo Harkless game. He draws the team's best player um, defensively. I think you're going to see a lot of Alfred Camino. Okay, yeah, I was going to put Alfred every time. I, like, this is the perfect matchup for Alfred Camino to shine. So I would send Harkless and Aminu every time. At Mello. If Mello's in the game, one of those Blazers has, has to be in the game. And you're forcing Mello to go isolation basketball. And he, he, that's what he loves. He's not going to pass it. Exactly. Do not help out unless he starts getting hot. But let's let's make Mello take contest, contested jumpers. And uh, this needs to be, this is a Dame game. This feels like a Dame game to me. Thursday night, uh, just going to go up against Derrick Rose. They have no guards. They have nobody inside who's going to stop Dame. Um if they start to uh, double him, you've got Nurkic on the pick and roll. You've got CJ. You've got Alan Crabb. Got Mo Harkless. Even Aminu. You've got shooters spread out. I think Dame is going to dictate this game. Um, 
I look for Dame to have a massive game because I think he could mess around and end up second team all NBA if he continues this play. Just like last year, you get snubbed from the all-star game, but he really gets Portland playing where they need to be at the right perfect time. And you cannot tell me he is not a top 10 player for the way he's playing right now. Yeah, I, I'm going. I'm going Blazers victory. Um, it's just Knicks don't have talent. I think what they did in the offseason was stupid. They should be trying to find players that mesh with Porzingis, not create this faux All Star game. Yep, I've got Blazers by eight or nine. I think it's going to be closer than the experts think. Similar to uh, my man Lee Corso. And then Portland plays the Minnesota Timberwolves. They are going to see this Timberwolves team quite a bit over the last 13 games. Three times, in fact. This will be the first time in Portland the two teams have met this year. Um, Portland did play the Timberwolves again. I mean, we're talking a long time since they've seen these teams. I believe it was on New Year's Day where mm-hmm. CJ had a career-high 43 points. Uh, Damian Lillard did not play in that game. We won 95-89 at the Target Center in Minneapolis. The Timberwolves are a team... Still a bit inconsistent, you know. They they would they're a team that's gonna beat the Golden State Warriors, but then probably lose to a Phoenix Suns. They are the team that I picked to be the eighth seed coming out preseason, and they're twenty eight and forty one. However, you know five and they were um, five and two over a stretch of seven games, but they've lost three straight, slowly fading out of the playoff picture, but. They have a lot of fucking talent. I know Zach Levine is out for the year with the ACL, but Rubio is always dangerous, especially if you get him out in the open court. And we, we saw what Carl Anthony Towns did to us last year. That that big home victory they they um excuse me, the big road victory they had in Portland when Towns hit that game winner over Aminu. But like this, now we have Nurkic, so Aminu's not gonna have to be on him in that clutch situation. I mean, you mentioned Ricky Rubio and since Zach Levine went down, Ricky Rubio has really taken over this team and has been producing really well. I mean, he plays really good defense. He gets the war, uh, the Timberwolves into positions where they can succeed. I mean, he can't shoot. He can't shoot a lick. But he runs your offense really, really well and just tries hard on defense. He gets underappreciated, but he's really talented and he, he he's the driving force in that team. He gets the Wiggins and Cat the balls in places where they can just dominate. I mean, Wiggins is gonna score a lot, but he that's because he goes to the line a lot. So I think defending him without fouling is gonna be big. And Carl Anthony Towns is just he also benefits a lot from Zach Levine being out because his usage rate is so much higher. I mean, Zach Levine took a lot of catch and shoot threes when he was healthy. Now it's focusing on Carl Anthony Towns. Did you see that Tom Thibodeau is making an uh, an active pitch to get Omri Caspi in Minnesota? I I can see it. I, I mean I don't he won't be ready for Saturday if they do get him, would he? I don't think so. He he broke his thumb uh like two, three weeks ago. But he'll he'll he'll, he'll help him. I mean I have a issue with Omri because the Pelicans had him twice, and you know he had a th- year of thirteen per. So people think he's really good, but yeah, he won't. He won't kill us. He'll hit a three and play bad defense. 
Who's your X Factor on the Blazers side, Sage? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Mo Harkless. I think he needs to defend without foul. This is a this is a big week for the the perimeter defense on dominant wings. So I think Mo Harkless needs to get those clamps on Mel. Oh no, Wiggins and not foul. You already mentioned Nurk being available to guard Towns and being that that big body. Uh, I think it's going to be key if we can get Towns in early foul trouble, especially utilizing Nurk in the pick and roll, uh, utilizing Nurk as our, our offense from the high-low, really making cat work on defense. But, I mean, the answer is pretty obvious. It's CJ McCollum. The dude had a career high earlier in the season against this team. Nothing has changed in Minnesota's favor that makes me think they could defend him. Dame's been hot. I think it's time for a big CJ game. Uh, I look for CJ to go nuts. I've got the Blazers sweeping this homestand. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think if I'm ranking them in order of toughness at home, it's Milwaukee 1, Minnesota 2, New York 3. The Wolves are going to be tough. Um, Just like last year when they surprised us and beat us, they've got the talent to do it. It's all going to come down to Portland's focus, their mentality. How are they going to approach this game? Uh, Again, if they think this is a scheduled win, they're going to get popped. Um, they need to come out and really want this, and I think it starts with Damian's leadership um, up front. Didn't CJ get super busy because Dame was out, though? He was, but again, they're, defensively, if if Dame's in there, I think that gives them even more room to operate. Uh, I agree, but CJ could take as many shots as he, he was the offense then, so I don't think he's going to get dropped like a 40-burger on him. Well, I think he's going to drop 40, but I think he's dropped 30. I mean, he still gets the second shots on second most shots on the team. Yeah, well, you know, there's a difference between being the man and then being the... But I, I, I can see him getting biz. I'm just trying to give CJ his due, Sage. Okay, well, I, I'm sorry. Let I, a man live. I'm sorry. I, I, uh, but yeah, I, I see us winning, but this, this is going to be a game we have to work for. I mean, New York, we're just... We have the talent. This one, we have to, have to play discipline. And then, lastly, uh, on this uh, week is a trip to the Lakers. We we mentioned they're starting Zubac, uh, their their big rookie in place of Mozgov. Um, they traded away Lou Williams. This team is a lot less scarier. I think Nick well, Dink Young is currently not with the team. I don't know I what think that's was gonna, sick. It was a yeah, late scratch. Don't know what that's going to look like um, a week from now. But they gave the Cavaliers all they could handle. Um, tonight in Staples, and it took I think something like forty from Kyrie Irving uh, to get it done. Against uh, Russell had forty six. Um, so they're a scary team. However, that's the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know that crowd is is riled up to see the the big three play. You know the Lakers mm-hmm. are riled up to see LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin. Um, as good as Dame's played, I don't know if he draws that from the other team. I, I hope he doesn't because I want to go in there and just crush them. But let's not forget. D'Angelo Russell and Dame have this little back and forth that started earlier in the year uh, when Portland played the Lakers, I think, two times really close together yeah, like, yeah. in Portland and then in Los Angeles. Um, a little bit of a scuffle, and I think Dame went over to talk to Jordan Clarkson. It's like, you need to get your mans in check. Like, he can't be throwing those elbows. Like, watch what you say. Do not wake up a sleeping dog. And that's what he did in that first game. Um, what date was it? I'm looking right now. Yes, Tuesday, January 10th. 
Uh, Portland won 108 to 87, and Dame was shooting like dog shit. Yeah, he was having a very lackluster performance. And, then... and that third quarter, he just took over. And I remember that game because it started snowing like a motherfucker up in Portland. And I just remember watching the snow and then watching Dame and um, D'Angelo Russell go at it because D'Angelo woke him up and then Dame hit some big buckets. And that was a close game. Portland ended up winning by 21 points. But it was much closer uh, mm. through three quarters. Sage, obviously the Lakers want to do everything humanly possible to keep their pick for the umpteenth year away from the Philadelphia 76ers. Currently, they are the second worst team in the entire NBA. Portland should win this. I think we've won 10 or 11 straight games against the Lakers, the longest such stretch in the history of of the two franchises meeting one another for Portland's side. How did they turn the pick away? I forgot. It was the Steve Nash deal. Okay, yeah. And then they traded. Okay, yeah. And then for whatever reason, it was in that Brandon Knight, Michael Carter Williams yeah, yeah, okay. that the Suns were like, here, you could have this. Or the Suns gave away this pick to Philly. You can have this pick. We really want Brandon Knight. Ugh. People, oh, yeah. can, can, people can complain about Neil Olshay's free agent targets, but at least he doesn't give away fucking draft picks. Um, for those of you who don't know, he did give away the pick that ended up being Kyrie Irving to dump Baron Davis' salary. It was like the eighth or ninth best heading into the lottery. Completely backfired, but that was under old Clippers ownership. And I'm going on a tangent that doesn't need to happen. Anyway, back to the Lakers. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, I was the catalyst for that tangent. I think the the Blazers blast the fuck out of the Lakers. I thought, uh, do you? D'Angelo Russell is not a good point guard. He is a combo oh. guard that is not good. I said it when he came out of the draft. He's going to have a Nick Van Exel type of career. He might make one, you know, All Star team. He'd be like so the, lucky to be Nick Van Exel. I mean, I just I kind of see him as Nick Van Exel. Man. He's just, the shot, like, he thinks he's Damian Lillard with his shot selection. It is atrocious. And he can't I think dribble. His ego outpaces his actual skill. Yeah. Like, remember that draft where there was discussion of D'Angelo being like a Dame and Emmanuel Moutier being John Wall? Man, those that, that was a bad point guard draft. Yeah, Emmanuel Moody is racking up C and uh, C and D's D, or C and uh, he just no DMPs. Coaches, yeah, DMPs. Coach decision. Yeah, yeah he, he's hey, getting hey, benched hey. for Jameer Nelson's old ass. But so obviously, I don't think I need to say it. Dame's my X factor. Anytime you play the Lakers, Dame is a Laker killer. He plays better against the Lakers, or he plays his best against Lakers more than any other team. Uh, you look at the the splits, he dominates the Lakers. I look for Portland to complete the season sweep. The Lakers want the loss. Portland wants the win. <laughs> yeah. If they win, that, that's a 4 no week. Do you have them winning as well? Yeah, I do. Which Zubac's kind of good, so watch him. But, uh, nah, Nurk is going to eat him for lunch. That is true. But, uh, yeah, um, th- this is a pretty easy win for me. Um yeah, this is a four a week, which you know, the optimism is pretty crazy right now. I think we won't. The lose. <laughs> only thing holding Portland back, as we mentioned, is going to be their focus. Can they hone in and play to the level of the Trailblazers? They need to adopt the philosophy that Chip Kelly did with the Ducks. You're playing yourself. Only worry about yourself. Don't worry about the opponent. Don't look at the opponent. You're not going to play up to that level of competition. You play to the level that you know how to play and you will handle your business more times than not. They really need to win the day, whether that's the practice, the game, 
the, the recovery afterwards. They have to embody that philosophy because this, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we talked about in the preseason stage. The schedule aligns perfectly for them to make a big run. And they're 32 and 37. You win these four, you're now 36 and 37. It wouldn't surprise me if when it's all said and done by the end of the year, Portland's record mimics their record last year, which was 44 and 38 which is completely incredible if you would have told me that's even remotely a chance at the All-Star break. Um, it's just crazy how that flip was switched, um, and Nurkic just gave this team new life. But they all, I mean, they're a talented team. We all knew that. They didn't all of a sudden forget how to play. Um, but it's really fun to now watch Blazer games, to actually look forward to seeing the team play. Uh, they're young. They're the youngest team in the NBA. They just feel really hungry. Um, I love watching a scrappy ass team like that gets me going um, as a fan because you love seeing because I, I play basketball. You know, I play rec league, you know, shout out to the sky hookers, but I play basketball. I know what it's obviously not like to play on the NBA level, but you go out there, you play for the love of the game. Like you go out there and you bust your ass. I love seeing that when NBA players do that. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of that from this team lately, whether it's helping out on defense, you know, securing that rebound, crashing the glass, um, driving to the bucket, you know, you're taking a hit, but you're finishing that and one, you know, you're lifting your teammate up. You see the guys on the bench, Pat Myers, uh, Shabazz, you know, they're, they're really locked in. It feels like a cohesive unit. Um, it's just a fun time to be a Blazer fan, and it's been a while since we've been able to say that. So, you know, thank you to the Trailblazers for finally figuring out your shit. You know, I hope we're not talking next week about, oh, here we go again. We got, we got, you know, fooled. I hope the Jekyll and Hyde Blazers stay one or the other because when they're when they just focus and when they play, they're going to be a tough out. You know, no one's expecting them to beat the Warriors, but it's going to be a much tougher out than Golden State could have ever imagined even three weeks ago. So I think it's, and I might be crazy, I think it's 99% certain we make the playoffs. Given our schedule, given Denver's schedule, what do you? Th- what, what is your percentage that the Portland Trailblazers make the eighth seed stage? It's getting better and better every time we podcast because, I mean, Denver doesn't have a cupcake schedule. I mean, playing the Rockets playing a team like the Pelicans who are trying to develop that continuity. So it means they're trying and they play them three times in the month of March. Pretty, it's pretty uh, tough for me to see them winning against the Rockets at least. And I I think if the Pelicans get one, it really just helps the Blazers immensely with trying to get the playoffs. So um, I'm going 70, 30 Blazers playoffs. I mean, that's pretty good. You're usually more of a, of a realist than I am, but you know, I shot my shot last week with the Spurs victory. I'm shooting it again, so hopefully, I can keep my batting average or my shooting percentage uh, up on the week. But Sage, it is uh, Monday morning. Yeah, uh, we have we are, we have podcasted into Monday for all of our listeners. Um, thank you again for listening week after week. Uh, we really appreciate the reviews on iTunes. So if you like what you're hearing, give us that five star review. Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we always um, can't promote it as much as we would like, uh, so the subscriptions really help. If you also want to hear this on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play, it is available at Holy Backboard PDX. We are also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Holy Backboard. 
And again, if you are taking part of the Holy Backboard ESPN tournament, the winner is going to take home a, a fabulous tee via Evan M PDX. So your boy's currently in second. So I'm hopeful I can take home another Evan M tee because that shit is fly. Yeah, shout out to Evan M, the homie. Um, but uh, yeah, so shout out to Evan M. He is the bomb, one of the coolest dudes. Been on the podcast a lot. Shout out to Kratos. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening, and we out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. We cannot end the show before we give a happy birthday shout-out to our OG listener, Long Story Longer. Uh, happy birthday. Dame and the Trailblazers delivered on your birthday weekend two big road wins. Hopefully, they can get us to that playoff spot, and the birthday weekend can continue into this week. Let's just keep this birthday weekend going. Let's get, the, let's get these dubs. Uh, so happy birthday, long story. Uh, thank you for listening, always being, um, you know, interacting, being an awesome fan on Twitter. And I think we, we need to get her on for at least a guest spot uh, before our time is up here. But, you know, we're going to keep rolling, Sage. 71 episodes and counting. Uh, can't wait to talk next week. Can't wait to interact with all our fans on Twitter uh, during this week. But, you know, let's go Blazers. Let's get these four wins. Uh, let's keep this momentum going. Oh, it's my birthday, uh, the 24th. Hit me up. Ooh. Day before the Wolves game. Hopefully they can give you a belated birthday present, my friend. Yeah. Um, so, going to be 26. That means if I was an NBA Old player, balls. Old oh, balls. Dude, seriously. It means that I am no longer uh, available, like, able to be on the rookie stale contract. It means I would be on my second. I feel old. Uh. Yeah, you're a veteran oh, now. I'm a vet in the game, bro. So uh, that that's cool. Gonna yeah. have a busy fucking week, busy birthday. So it's gonna be cool. Hit me up. Let me know how much you guys love me. Well, happy birthday, early birthday, my friend. Uh, I think it's time to wrap this one up. Let's go, Trailblazers. Let's, let's go. go. Let's get let's get another. Let's get more victories for Sage. He deserves it. Yeah. Let's